0: Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest, Quest, the Wednesday edition. Chase Byers is our host today, but Chase Byers is coming
1: on right now. But Jeff jumped in first, which is totally fine. Um, It's good to have everyone on. You gotta uh, be
0: on time, man.
1: (laughs) Um, It is good to see everyone. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. And of course, we've got Brother Joe Works from Elmira, New York. How's it going today, Brother? I am doing good. <laughs> good. It's good to have you guys on. Um, let's go ahead and uh, let's jump in. Guys, I, I got a question for you. Um, if I were to ask you all uh, or tell you all rather that I'm going to be moving to a kingdom, I'm going to move to this new kingdom of, I don't know, I'm not even going to try and make up a name. Saudi Arabia. Yeah, there you go. I'm going to move to this kingdom. What kind of questions are you all going to have for me when I tell you that? Um,
0: (laughs) what kind of questions? If you say you're going to move to this kingdom, which kingdom are you moving to?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is it is it here? Is it near? Is it new? Is it old? What kind of kingdom is it? Yeah, great question. What else? What's one of the bigger questions? What's your
2: what's your purpose for moving?
1: Yeah, why are you going there? What what's different about? where you're at now and what's different about where you're planning to go. Why, why are you doing that? Do you yeah. think you're going to like living under the rule of a King? Yeah, exactly. That's where my mind goes, especially is like, well, who, what's the King like if you're moving to a kingdom, what, what's this King about? What is he expecting from you? Anything else that jumps out to you all? Um, lots of questions I assume, but let's, uh, uh, Tell, tell us where we're going. <laughs> well, I think one question you might have for me is, what's your purpose? When you get there, are you just going to sit there in the kingdom and do nothing? that's, that's kind of boring.
0: Especially if you're not a citizen. I mean, you, you know, if you're a U.S. citizen, you're not going to have any rights there.
1: Yeah, but assuming I, I go to this new kingdom and I'm a citizen there now, uh, oh. you would hope that I have some type of purpose, that I have some type of goal, I have some type of work to do in that new kingdom that I'm moving to. Because okay. uh, I, think, I think we would all agree that if we were to move to a kingdom and have no purpose, that would be kind of awful. It would be boring. It wouldn't be fulfilling uh, in any way. And that's kind of the cool thing about the kingdom of God. That's what I'm trying to roll over to here. Okay. That we have a wonderful king. We've got a great king, Jesus. The king is amazing. He's great. He's merciful. He's gracious to us. He's great. We've got good family members. We've got good neighbors in the kingdom of God. But moving on to what I was trying to get to is that we have a purpose in the kingdom of God there is work that we now get to be a part of in this new kingdom that we've signed up to be a part of
2: okay but but what's the difference I mean like so I I guess I get that there's got to be some purpose to it but wouldn't you really be moving there because of the benefits of going to a better place
1: Yes, that would definitely be um, one of the ideas. We studied Hebrews 11 not that long ago, and it talks about Abraham who was looking for a city uh, made with foundation, something better and greater than he ever saw, something that was built by God. And so that's certainly, we're looking for the benefits of living in that kingdom. But I also just want to emphasize that other side of it, of there's going to be something for us to do in said kingdom that we're a part of.
2: There's there's a danger of just looking for the benefits.
0: Just a a side, I don't want to take us down this tangent, but uh, you mentioned Hebrews 11. I'm recently studying through Hebrews 5, 6, and 7 with someone. We're talking about the idea of Melchizedek as a prototype of the Christ. He is both king and priest. Uh, Our king is unusual. He is both king and priest. Uh, we, We know kings throughout history and in the world today who rule. But here we have a picture of a king who not only rules, but intercedes on behalf of the citizens of his kingdom. He gives his life for the citizens of his kingdom. So that's, that's an interesting combination. Someone who is both the intercessor and self-sacrificing intercessor for his subjects, but at the same time rules his subjects. It's a, it's a beneficent king.
1: Yes, very good use of the word beneficent. Never heard it used before, so I appreciate that. But overall, I think I agree with you. Um, I love that our King Jesus, he is willing to, to not only be working on our behalf, but he's willing to, to also be the ruler and the authority that we need as well. Um, so it's such a cool idea. But I think all of us realize, and I hope everyone who's joining us, if you're a Christian realizes this, now that you're a citizen in the kingdom of God, there is work that needs to be done. There are fields that need to be sowed. There are fields that need to be harvested and reaped. There are many things that need to be done in the kingdom of God. And I gotta say, guys, I think, especially back before I was more involved in preaching and teaching, this was a hard question for me: is to figure out, well, what am I supposed to do? I go to church, yeah, and I sing and I pray and I'm I'm with my brethren and stuff. But what kind of work is Chase Byers supposed to be doing? in the kingdom of God. I know I'm supposed to have a purpose, but what is it going to be? What kind of work does God expect his people working in his
2: vineyard to be doing? Um, is that a valid question, you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. because a lot of times people only think of kingdom work as, as what the evangelist does, or you know, maybe what, what teachers do, and, and very limited... Uh, aspects of working in the kingdom, it doesn't really jive with uh, a lot of uh, what other people are doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I definitely want to point us in the direction of First Corinthians chapter 12. So if everyone would turn over there, and if you're listening along with us, turn over to First Corinthians 12. Because this section of Scripture does a great job of helping us realize that you cannot compare the different type of work that goes into kingdom work. we're going to talk about the different types of work here in a little bit but I think to start with it's important to realize that there is no one work that is more important than the other sometimes we fall the victim of trying to compare our work to someone else's and Paul warns against that in the letter to first in the letter to the Corinthians here uh, well what do you like to read uh, why don't you all just knock out someone read chapter 12 verses 12 down to verse 31.
0: For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For in one spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether bond or free, and were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, it is not therefore not of the body. And if the ear shall say, Because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body. It is not, therefore, not of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now has God set the members, each one of them, in the body, even as it pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now they are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those parts of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness, whereas our comely parts have no need. But God tempered the body together, giving more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And whether one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and severally members thereof. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, and then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But desire earnestly the greater gifts, and moreover, a most excellent way, show I unto you.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Uh, So if you're just tuning in, that was 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. So to start with, there's several things that jump out to me, backing up to verses 12 and 13. The point Paul is really trying to stress here is that we are all members of the same body, and the body is Jesus Christ. We were baptized, verse 13, into that same body, and we all have the same spirit. Whether you're Jew, Greek, slave, free, we're all made in the same spirit. We're all one is the point that Paul is trying to make. And so you all don't need to start, stop, you all need to stop seeing yourselves as part of different bodies and dividing yourselves up like Paul told them that they were doing and he knew they were guilty of earlier in the book. But he's saying you all need to see yourselves as a single unit of God's people. Now, once Paul identifies that they're in the same body, he does go ahead and identify that there are different parts of the body that we all are, and I I appreciate Paul doing that. We're not all just a hand, or we're not all just an ear. We all have a different responsibility and all a different work to do in the kingdom as, as this part of the body of Jesus Christ. So what's kind of the first problem that Paul identifies there, guys, in verses 14 and 16.
0: Say that again, Chase.
1: I said, what what's the problem Paul's identifying in verse 14 or sorry, 15 and 16 there?
0: Well, it's it's the idea that one part of the body thinks that it's not important because it's not a certain other. It doesn't have a function that another part has. It doesn't have yeah, a skill that, that another part has.
1: That's right. And that kind of that kind of goes back to a comment joe made just a little bit ago sometimes we get into thinking if i'm not out teaching and preaching or i'm not out uh you know specifically studying with a non-christian then the work that i'm doing in the kingdom is not as important uh and we would learn from this text that that that's not necessarily so um those are some important jobs but your job in the body can be just as important as anyone else's
0: you know i'll tell you i just recently this coronavirus thing we're we're assembling outdoors right now and um, for a few weeks before we started assembling outdoors, we were just doing the live streaming thing. And so what, that, what all of that means is I have a lot more on my plate in terms of uh, just the, the technology, setting stuff up, microphones, batteries in lapel mics, uh, all that kind of thing. And I knew that there were a lot of people see to it regularly that all of that is taken care of and they don't give any attention to it so but this is thinking about different roles in the kingdom and and the kingdom is not just the local church and it's not just the work that we do in the context of our assemblies but this is an area in our assemblies where where I've just recently had it impressed upon me how valuable little things that a lot of people do are so I, I've come to realize through the years there have been a, a few people who have taken responsibility. I never have to think about it. I never have to check to make sure the clicker to advance slides has fresh batteries in it. Somebody takes care of that every week. I I never have to think about the fact that there are fresh batteries in the lapel mic that I use. I never have to to deal with the the volume of the various speakers. Uh, I mean the microphones at the at the podium or at the table or wherever you know somebody else balances all of that i don't have to worry about getting stuff uploaded to the internet somebody else takes care of that if i get a dry mouth i i I look right under the podium and somehow there's a bunch of water bottles under there and i can just reach and grab a water bottle somebody takes care of that uh there are dozens of things that i could talk about just in the context of the assembly what goes on in this church building that somebody just routinely takes care of. And it makes my job so much easier when I can just focus on the things that I need to say and the people I need to talk to or see uh, to encourage them. Uh, and, I, and I'm not distracted with making sure all these things are handled. All of that is important.
1: And so if, if whoever it is that's doing all those wonderful things for you got it in their head that their job was, wasn't as important and so they just quit doing it, what would that do for you or for other people that would create more work that would create more things you would have to worry about and do and it would, so it, yeah go ahead
0: and it would make you know not just me but whoever it, it to the extent that all these people are doing all these things then the 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 one thing that each person is best at that that person can focus on that person becomes more efficient at doing that Uh, because he's not distracted with other things. We have women in in the congregation here. We're just marvelous in in following up when somebody is missing, in checking in on somebody when they're spiritually discouraged, in taking initiative when somebody is in the hospital and the family uh, needs meals and they're very quick to set up a meal list, Uh, all kinds of things like that. And often they happen in the background and maybe most people aren't even aware of them and other times everybody is aware of them but it's just all the little things like that that are important amongst a group of people who form a community and function as a community it's not just isolated people doing their own thing it's people looking out for one another and that's very important and,
2: and I might take it a step further and just say that I think in actuality it probably wouldn't mean that somebody else is going to end up having to do more work it's probably going to mean that those things aren't going to get done there's not going to be water bottles under there or whatever you know there's not going to be somebody that makes the meal list if if somebody's not doing that i think this illustration that he gives here in 1st corinthians 12 you know if the foot says uh, i'm not a hand so i'm not of the body well if the foot quits working what other part of the body is going to do- <laughs> on Your hands, you know. I, I think we we need to realize that it's not just well somebody else will take that up. It's, there's a lot of things that won't get done properly, at least if that's the case. It really is significant that everybody sees themselves as having a function in that body or in that kingdom that you started talking about. And then,
0: and then on the correct? other yeah, I'm go right, ahead. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. It was silly. It was silly. well, I guess. Somebody who was silly, never mind.
1: <laughs> so I, I love, it's kind of, to me, it's kind of a gross thing to think about. In verse 17, um, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? I, I don't like thinking of just like an enormous body of eyes or an enormous body of ears. But the, the point that, that Paul is trying to make is that if everyone was the same thing, other things would not be getting done. And so I think being an elder is great. I think being teachers and preachers like 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 I am, um, obviously I think it's a good work to do or else I wouldn't be doing it. But I will say, I'm glad that there are a lot of people who are preachers and teachers. Not because I don't think that they're cut out to do it. It's just because I know that they're taking care of things that I'm not able to do. And so I'm just so thankful that there are people in God's kingdom that are taking care of these other things. And so we, we all need to be desiring to be working in God's kingdom, but as verse 18 points out, realize that God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Does so, that bring you guys comfort? That brings me comfort.
0: It, it does. It does. And, and it also, you know, the kingdom is not made up of churches. The kingdom is not made up of congregations. The body here, in verse 27, is described as made up of individuals. Verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and severally, or another translation says, individually members thereof. So each individual Christian is a member of the body of Christ. Uh, But the fact is, congregational, the, the arrangement of Christians associating in congregations from one place to another is God's intention. And we can see as you start thinking about the need to work together and to serve one another, um, why that becomes important. Because if we don't have this relationship in congregations and we're just kind of isolated, you don't have this care for one another. You don't have, as it says in verse 26, where one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. One member's honored, all the members rejoice with it. Maybe in some kind of theoretical um this this detached way we could suffer with the concept of somebody suffering in another place but when it's somebody that we interact with regularly and we know them and we are concerned about this person uh then it's a it's much more palpable kind of thing when that person suffers we suffer with that person when that person um is honored we 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 rejoice with that
2: person yes i i think that that's that's exactly right and it is so appropriate that not only here, but in Ephesians and other passages as well, this concept of the body is a regular theme to describe God's people working together. He doesn't use an illustration like, say, a company, where, you know, at some company, you go into work at whatever, 8 o'clock in the morning, and you leave at 4.30 or whatever, and you cease being that company. But the body never ceases being the body. And it's really, it's not just on Sunday. It's it's all the time, everybody functioning, doing their share, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. It's just such a powerful illustration that he gives here.
0: So if, and without hijacking your topic, Chase, but just to take this tangent just one step further, when people say, well, I'm not into religion. I believe in God, but I'm not into religion. I'm spiritual, but I'm not into religion. What they're really saying is, I'm not into assembling with other Christians. I'm not into being a part of a congregation. And to some extent, to a great extent, that's a result of the fact that all they have seen in terms of organized religion is man-made organized religion, where man-made rules are imposed and man-made inconsistencies are created. But what they are missing is the fact that it is important that people function as members one of another. And that happens when you're not just sitting around in your in your bedroom saying, well, I'm spiritual.
1: Yes. Very good points. Uh, I'll say, I want to point out just a couple other things in this text, and then I want to get to some more specifics as well. Uh, in verse 21 and 22, Paul talks about the problem that there is when the eye looks to the hand and says, I have no need of you or the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Um, Paul's talking about judging each other, judging the different members to be unworthy or not, not, uh, not needed even. And uh, guys, can you imagine just like Jeff, you're walking down the stairs, you're a tall guy and you're walking down the stairs and your left leg all of a sudden decides I'm going to make that right leg trip. It's done that. Yeah. (laughs) What doesn't the left leg realize whenever it's trying to take down the right leg? Yeah, it's, take, it's going to take itself down, too. It's going down. It's going to go down, too. And, and when, we, when we start acting that way, when we start saying, oh, that, that member is not important, or I'm going to do something to cause that member harm because I don't like something about them or about something that they've done, what you're really doing is you're hurting yourself because you're a member of the same exact body. And so we should never fall into that, that pitfall of judging someone else's work in the kingdom um, as being unnecessary or not needed. And I'm not talking about someone who just doesn't do work. We do. If someone's not doing any work, we need to encourage them to do something in, the, in God's kingdom. But for those of us um, who who are working in God's kingdom and looking out at someone else who's doing something different, we need to be careful not to judge them and act like their job is not important. And uh, I, yeah, like Jeff kind of echoed earlier, I, I love verse 26, if, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Guys, you know it well as I, as I do. You hit that pinky toe on the corner of the, ca- or of the cabinets in the kitchen, your whole body's going down. Like that hurts. You hit one little member and the entire body hurts, but as well as rejoicing as well. So this is a great text. Um, I appreciate uh, and I'm, lo- I'm loving that we're getting to spend as much time as we have on it. But I think it would be good for us to answer the next part of this, because some, some might be listening and say, yeah, Chase, Joe and Jeff, I get it. I've got, I've got to work. What do I do? What am I supposed to be doing in God's kingdom? So let's, let's just start by talking about this. Whenever we're trying to find our place in God's kingdom, I think a good place to start is by identifying our strengths as well as our weaknesses. There's a lot we can say about that. Um, We'll talk about the strengths in a second. But I think it is important to realize that there are weaknesses that some have that they need to work on. Not necessarily sinful things, but just things they're not good at in general. Maybe there's a man or a woman who's a good Bible teacher, and they want to get better at that. But I've also met people who, it doesn't really matter how much time they put into it, they might not necessarily get better at that because it's not something that they're, they're naturally good at. And so I think it's good to know our weaknesses and know our limitations, because sometimes that frees us up to focus on what we're truly good at and put all of our time and attention into that. Um, and so let's talk about a few of the things in scripture that we see that we can be doing in God's kingdom. Uh, Joe, you brought up Romans 12 earlier. I want to start there. Can you just kind of take us through some of those things in Romans 12? I know I'm putting you on the spot there. But no, no, it's fine. It's uh...
2: Uh, look at Romans chapter 12 um, uh, I think that there is this uh, it's hard to know exactly where to divide all this up but maybe verses 3 through uh, verse 16 you sort of have this pericope uh, it's a fancy word for you Jeff Um, uh, this uh, this section uh, verse 3 talks about somebody ought not to think more highly of himself but he really ought to think soberly verse 16 Uh, you ought to uh, be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your mind on high things associate with the humble. Don't be wise in your own opinion. And so between these two, uh, bookends of you need to be humble, uh, he talks about how we need to be active, how we need to be working. And he gives all sorts of things that we need to be busy doing all while not over stating or overthinking of of how critical we are. I am extremely replaceable. Um, But as long as God is allowing me to be a servant, I've been transformed, verses 1 and 2 of Romans 12, I need to act like that. And so he begins then, uh, uh, maybe pick up in verse 4, whereas we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we... Being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts and exhortation, he who gives with liberality, who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, and then he even goes on and mentions several other things that aren't necessarily in that same list. The way he writes verses six through eight, there seems to be a, a section there of some examples. But even the other things that he talks about, like he he describes uh, hospitality in verse thirteen. Um, in verse four, uh, verse fifteen, he he describes what real compassion looks like. Some people are better than others at all of these things, and so th- these are just some good examples that. We should look at it. Well, Paul really esteemed these workers, people who who God has given these gifts to. I skipped over verse three, the the end of verse three, as God has dealt to each one. You know, and that again, that goes back to exactly what you were saying in First Corinthians 12. There were three times back there that Paul had made that really clear through that discussion of the one body. Verse eighteen, God is set. Verse twenty four, God composed. Verse twenty eight, God is appointed. This is all about what God has given to different members in the body of Christ, um, and so we need to be doing them.
0: So, Joe, let me ask a question. Suppose I'm I have a strength, um, and uh, and I have a weakness. Should I look at the strength and say, Well, that's what God has given me, and I look at the weakness and say, Well, God doesn't want me to do that?
2: So, uh, I think there's a real tendency to do that. Shortly after I became a Christian in Madison, Indiana, I, I led singing like maybe two or three times, and people said, Joe, you should become a preacher. <laughs> 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 I did <take> a <laughs> <laughs> so uh, laugh it was a real conversation um uh, but uh, uh you know it, there there are things that that we may not have the 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 natural talent for that doesn't mean that we don't try to work on them I think right. to, maybe to, to answer your question in short what we ought to do is look for doors that god opens for us and maybe that means needing to strengthen things that are weak in us.
0: And, and that's right. And and so some in some some there are some people who will never ever ever be song leaders. They just can't carry a tune. Um, but there are weaknesses that can become strengths. And um, you know, out just on my own experience here, just a little bit, uh, one of the things that is debilitating in terms of trying to present a lesson, preach a sermon, or even teach a class is stage fright. Uh, If somebody is just utterly stricken with stage fright so that he just can't even get two sentences put together standing in front of an audience, speaking, teaching publicly, preaching is not going to be his strength, but it can become a strength. Um, I I was someone who was... None of the three of us, I think, lay claim to being great orators, but I think all three of us have gotten comfortable with standing in front of somebody so that we can focus on what it is we want to say, what we need to communicate, without just thinking about, oh, no, I'm standing in front of people. Um, And and that's an important thing to develop, and it's something that can be developed. Stage fright was something that I was very prone to. Uh, Just a quick couple of little stories. When I was in 10th grade, we, I had a class called Oral Communications, his speech class. And at the end of the school term or whatever it was, I don't think it was a full year class, I think it was half year or a third of the year or something, but at the end of that class, we had to present a speech. It was just a two-minute speech. And so, Joe, you're smiling like you've heard this story before.
2: No, it's, it's, it's my story also. <laughs>
0: So so I get up to give my two-minute speech in front of, I don't know, a dozen, 18 kids. It was a small class, and I am terror-stricken. I am shaking. I am sweating. The only thing I had done in front of an audience up to this point was read scripture or lead prayer at church, and uh, so I'd done that, but now I've got to give a speech. Two minutes, so I get through the speech as fast as I can. It was probably all monotone. There probably were no punctuation marks audible in the whole thing. I have, I, I, even when I, as soon as I got through with it, I had had no recollection of what I just said. I was on autopilot, just trying to plow through it. I get through it and I got to the end and I said, amen. And everybody in the class laughed because everybody knew well enough, knew me well enough to know what I was about to say. Amen. Cause that, that was automatic. And that's, that's how I was. Even when I got to college and I was working, uh, as a, as kind of fill in preaching for J- Jim Cope, uh, out there at Antioch. So some of the people who are listening to this may have attended the small congregation out there. And I remember speaking out there and, um, the first time or two, I was speaking out there, just sweating profusely and knees knocking and that whole kind of thing and over time I got past that. So a strength could a weakness could become strengthened. But you know what? When I had those episodes of sheer terror, anytime I got in front of a of a group, I should not have been the one week in, week out, standing in front of a group of a hundred people or two hundred people or whatever number of people saying, you know, I'm going to do the preaching. I'm going to do the teaching because it's not just about me. It's about the people there and they need to to get something. Sure, they could be encouraged by helping me along. But after a year's worth of of listening to me stammer and stutter and watching me sweat, you know, maybe they need to do something besides just encourage me. Maybe I need to step aside and let somebody else do some teaching.
1: Let me let me bring it to especially what we're seeing here um what jeff is talking about is right there in verse seven he teaches in his teaching right before that if service in his serving um i think service is something we all need to be doing i I certainly think it would be inappropriate for any one of us to be like oh well one of my weaknesses is being a servant and uh "Ah, it just is what it is that's it i'll I'll give up (laughs) No, you need to work on that. We need, I need to be a better servant. I need to be seeking out opportunities to get better at that. But you know what, guys? And I'll even say, I don't think serving is necessarily a strength of mine. It's something I need to be working on always. But I have met some brethren where it's like serving is in their blood. It's like they've done something for somebody. And after they do it, I'm like, I could have never thought of even I couldn't even thought of doing that for that person or serving them in that way. It just would have never come into my mind.
0: It's not not that you would have said I don't want to do it. It just wouldn't have occurred to you,
1: right? Because they're they're naturally, I think, a good servant, and so that is something I value them in and I love them for. Um, And so that's simply what I meant by there are some weaknesses in us. I don't. I'm not saying we have to give up on, but we should realize that there are some who are just naturally going to be better at it. So in service and teaching. I think about the one at the end of verse eight. people who show mercy. There are some people who are just naturally good at being merciful and kind and tenderhearted. Now, I'm sure it's something that they've worked on, but I've certainly had peers that I've come up with. And it's like, as I'm growing up with them, they're more merciful than me. It just seems like they have that meek attitude about them that I have to maybe work a little harder on. It doesn't make me better than them. It doesn't make them better than me, but it is something they're naturally good at and something that's come to them uh, naturally. And so these are all wonderful examples of things that I think people naturally have. They're things we can work on. But if you can identify anything that we just read as one of your strengths, that's a gift God has given you. Excel in that.
2: Thinking about that one, that's another great example. So I'm I'm weak at showing mercy, so I should just not do that. I should let somebody else. (laughs) No, not at all uh blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy right we all need to do that but some people are more given to it and so in that they may be better peacemakers uh, they they may be people who you want to go and talk to others who are struggling uh because they're going to have uh, some ability to, to to deal with that without being too critical or and, and discouraging in certain situations um and so th- there are, each, each person needs to look at what God has blessed them with and, and focus on that and what opportunities God gives them.
1: Well, and let, let's take what Joe just said and run with it. In Philippians 4, uh, in verse 2, Paul will say, I urge you, Odia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. In verse 3, indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement, also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. This true companion that Paul has in mind here, he's saying, I I want Yordi and Syntyche to get along, but I want this guy to help do it. You know what I would say that guy is probably blessed with as far as gifts go and uh, working in the Lord's kingdom? He's probably a merciful guy. He's probably a patient person, and he wants to help. And so that's who Paul had in mind for that specific task. And I know there are several brethren in my mind that if there were two brothers and sisters or a brother and sister or a sister and sister having a conflict or having a problem, I got to say, there are some brethren that I might think, I don't want them to jump in there. I don't, I, I, that's not their strength. They're a little more of the hammer side of things. They're, they're not the perfect person to jump in there. And then there are some people that I'm like, get them you i want you to go to that house and help them with that problem or i want you to get in there and help them talk through whatever it is that they have going on um and so i think that that is another another strength that if someone identifies them in, within themselves they need to go out and and use that in god's kingdom because there's a need for it
0: so what you're talking you know we have a singing uh, i mean a song we sing there is work that we all can do. There is room Mm -hmm. in the kingdom, you know, um, and there's work that we all can do. Um, Yeah,
1: we'll let Joe sing that in a little bit.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Um, You know, guys, uh, before I lose my train of thought as well, along these lines, I think of encouragers. Um, Obviously, my mind goes to Barnabas. He was, of course, named the son of encouragement. It was in Acts 9, whenever Paul comes back from Damascus, Barnabas sticks his neck out there for Paul and, and kind of ropes him in and brings him in. Um, in Acts 11, Paul is sent to the group, is he, or sorry, Barnabas is sent to the group in Antioch to encourage them and to help them. Mm-hmm. And so Barnabas was just a great encourager. And I certainly have met brethren like that. Uh, quick, simple story. Uh, there was one time when I was living in Kentucky that I had, uh, there was a couple of members at the local church I was working with and the wife, had had some pretty major back surgery. And um, surgery took place about an hour away from where I was living. And so after it was over, I was gonna go visit him. So I hop in my car and I, I drive to the hospital and uh, I was being arrogant. I was thinking, oh man, it's a good thing to do out there doing the preacher thing out there, visiting people. Well, I'm, just, I'm really just gonna encourage them. And so I get out there and uh, go into the hospital room and uh, talk with them, ha- you know, cutting up with them, encouraging them as much as I can. And at the end of the visit, they hand me an envelope. I just recently started preaching. I said, we appreciate you coming um, here. Th- this is for you. And I was like, what is it? And they're like, it's just a little bit of money. We want you to buy some books or any resources that you might need as you get started preaching here. And I went back out to my car after that, and I just thought, I feel like such a jerk. I, I was there to encourage them. That was my goal. And yet I left tenfold more encouraged than, than anything I dished back out. And this couple I'm describing, they are like that in so many different ways. They are just good encouragers. And I was just so encouraged by that. So that story, that always sticks with me. But the, I, Barnabas is an excellent example of this. Um, and there are certainly brethren out there that this is their strength.
2: So, you know, one of the things, and uh, I just read a, a Facebook post on this recently, uh, sometimes people feel like their lives are, they're so overwhelmed with the daily duties that they don't have time to, to do some other function. Uh, you know to be working in the body, and it it, it always surprises me, and it needs to quit it 's my own uh, lack of thinking on this but but i 'm regularly surprised at how many times young moms feel like they 're not important, that they 're not doing anything, and second uh, uh, Timothy one. When Paul is speaking to Timothy, he says, when I call to remember the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in you also. You know, uh, one of the functions in the body is to raise godly children and, and to to give them a faith that, that, that they can carry through their life. Uh, you know, we ought not to think of those things, and, and this article went, in and went ahead and talked about, you know, the, the aspect of that, like when, when, you, when the three of us are preaching, we understand there's a lot more that's involved in just preaching. We, maybe we had to go buy some books. We had to, to do some reading. We had to do some research. We had to call Jeff to find out what the meaning of the Greek word is and lots <laughs> of things. And, but, you know, it's not just when you get up and preach. that There's a lot of work, hopefully, that went on before that. the same thing for for moms you know there's the the laundry and the cooking uh, and the cleaning and the diapers and this that and you know getting up in the middle of night and being tired when you're at services and when joe preaches too long and you're trying to stay awake and and women sometimes feel like well i'm just doing these things but that's all part of the spiritual work of, of raising A godly family. And the same thing is true for young men as well. Jace, you're in in that boat. Um, uh, you know, uh we we got to realize that all the work that we are doing as citizens of the kingdom or members individually of that body, it it needs to have a spiritual goal in mind.
0: You know, you see you see these young mothers and they're raising their children, they're teaching their children the stories of the Bible. They're teaching their children how to be kind and how to treat others, and they're teaching their children about Jesus, and they're raising those children who will uh, someday take their place in the kingdom of God, and they will be leaders um, in a spiritual way, largely due to their mothers, and that's a great spiritual work. But then when those mothers then even take it a step further, and they They realize there's somebody who needs some encouraging who is sick or just somebody. And she has her children set about the task of making a bunch of chocolate chip cookies and they bag them up into little individual bags and and then take them around and give them as gifts to other people in the congregation or something. She is doing a great work. It's more, than what, more than the cookies they're giving to the people, she is teaching those children what it is to be a worker in the kingdom. Amen.
1: Titus 2, y'all. Titus 2, verse 3. Um, older women are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. I love this picture too of the older women then stepping in and encouraging those young moms and their work uh, in God's kingdom as raising godly children and upholding the household with, with good godly biblical values um, and standing behind their husbands as their husbands are, are trying to do the same thing. So yes, very good point, Joe. I appreciate you bringing that up.
2: Well, and, and you've got all sorts of groups like that, and, and it's maybe, maybe I as a preacher, needs to, I just need to do a better job at, at explaining these things, but sometimes single people don't really feel like they've got a place. You have all these couples in the congregation or whatever, and so a single person doesn't really feel like they, they fit in. But there's again, there's so many places that they can actually be active where it might not be as easy for a married couple with children or an older couple or whatever the case might be. You know, everybody needs to look at, okay, so this isn't, I, I'm not like everybody else, but what can I do then? Uh, who was it that said, um, you're unique just like everybody? Um, uh, and, uh, you know, So because we are unique and our circumstances are unique, look for, so what can I do? Do I have more time? Do I have more energy? Do I have some experience that I can help some other people with? Um, maybe it's just going and sitting with some people, you know, um, uh, giving an ear to, to some elderly people. How many times have I been blessed by doing that, thinking that I'm going to go and, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and sit with the elderly and, you know, try to encourage them. And then I begin to hear their stories and, and they, they help me with life lessons, just like what you were talking about earlier, Chase.
1: Yes. Yes, so absolutely. We we all have a place. We all need to be working in God's kingdom, and so um, I would encourage everyone to to seek out what they can be doing as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Well, that's our time for today, everyone. We appreciate everyone joining us, Lord willing. We'll be on next
2: Wednesday at 3 o'clock, so thank you so much for your kind attention today. God bless and take care.